Well, hello there. It is great to see you again and welcome back to another installment of Lessons by the Lake, the Oswego Private Wealth Show. I am your host and moderator, Ryan Ruff. And as always, we have the star of our show, Mr. Bob Bedritus, the managing director over at Oswego Private Wealth. He'll be joining us for another wealth management-related discussion. That's what we do here on the show. We're taking those same conversations and strategies and solutions that Bob is working with you know, with his clients over at Oswego Private Wealth, and we're bringing them to you right here on this podcast. So today we're going to be diving right back into the family businesses. So, you know, if you've spent the last few episodes with us, we've talked about the different, you know, wealth planning strategies and uh, and dynamics really that exists within a family that has significant assets at their disposal. And this is, you know, the type of client that Bob works with regularly in his practice. Today, we've got a really unique topic dialed up for you. Today, what we're going to be doing is we're diving into five critical wealth planning mistakes of successful family businesses. And I, I really want to highlight the word successful because these are the types of businesses that Bob works with, these successful family business owners. But we're acknowledging these five mistakes that we're seeing the successful businesses making. So, of course, there's a lot that we can learn from identifying what these mistakes are and then, of course, the strategies to make sure that you're mitigating these mistakes in the first place. So, let me frame it up this way real quick. You know, uh, running a successful family business, you can imagine, it, of course, it goes with a ton of working hard, but you also want to work smart. And then you also need to couple in the idea of, of navigating those family dynamics along the way. And they can always be a little sticky, uh, you know, as Bob and I have chatted about. So today we're going to be identifying just what these five mistakes are and how you can move around them rather than through them. So let's go ahead and bring Bob on and get today's conversation rolling. Bob, good to see you. How are you doing this morning? Good. I'm doing great, Ryan. Good to see you. It's great to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Always a good time when we get together. And, and Bob, we're sticking with that theme of family businesses today. I know you work very closely with them. Um, so let's start with a high level, as we typically do. Bob, when it comes to family businesses as a whole, I would imagine the need just for wealth planning in general is pretty immense in most cases. Would you agree with that? Talk to me a little bit about this. Uh, ab well, absolutely. I couldn't agree more that wealth planning is such a critical aspect to the uh, financial nature of a business uh, beyond the business itself and what they're running. Uh, we still have to be profitable. We still have to make smart decisions about money, mitigate taxes, uh, their issues with heirs, uh, so on and so forth. So apps, I would could could not agree with you more. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. I mean, we've just on our prior episodes have talked about different strategies and solutions and a lot of elements come into play with a family business as a whole. So, Bob, given all these moving parts that are, you know, operating on a regular basis within a family business, I would imagine there's a risk for mistakes to arise. Uh, there are. There are a lot of mistakes, and, and we've really identified five major mistakes, not that that number couldn't be bigger in some instances and things, but we've identified over, over the years of working with our clients where I would, what I would call the five key mistakes that business owners often make, and uh, this subject is near and dear to my heart because I have made quite a few of them myself over the years of running a, a different businesses and selling different businesses over the, over the years. 
Mm -hmm. Right. And Bob, and I'm glad you mentioned that because that's a big, that is a big underlying theme with our show is that while yes, you're working with entrepreneurs and successful family business owners throughout, you know, the years at Oswego Private Wealth. I mean, it's big and it's important to note that you yourself has been in those same shoes. So mm -hmm. worth noting there. Um, all right. So Bob, what would you say then that family business owners and, and the decision makers for that given business should really be looking for uh, that tells them that a given wealth planner uh, is likely right for them in their situation, you know, when seeking out a particular wealth manager to maybe get that wealth planning under wraps. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, no, appreciate that question. And, you know, family businesses are the foundation of the success of economies around the world. Uh, family business may be the oldest business model. And a true family business is one where decision making influences multiple generations. And I think that's the lens that we need to look, look at it through. And so the first mistake that I typically see when I engage into a client is, um, is just the idea of, are they choosing to work with the right wealth manager? But so oftentimes people will choose the wrong wealth manager to, to work with. And, I, or, and by wealth manager, we can define that as the correct uh, wealth manager slash financial advisor. It could be the attorneys that they use. It could be the CPAs or other corollary professionals that they bring in. And oftentimes people that are advising the business owners have a point of view, which is very narrow. It's not holistic on any, by any stretch of the imagination. And so as the old adage goes, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail to you. And that's what we often find is that they're not taking the human element into, into family's goals and objectives into account they're simply trying to execute on, don't want to say cookie cutter, but on the basic things that they tend to do for everybody, irrespective of the uniqueness of that family, that family's goals and objectives and that, and that family's business. So that would, be, uh, that would be mistake number one that I see is using or choosing to work with the wrong wealth manager. Roger that, Bob. And yeah, we've talked about that importance of the human element being really a foundational strategy that a wealth manager should be incorporating with their work with clients because, yeah, it lies at the, the forefront of everything that they should be doing for a client, incorporating their goals, their uniqueness uh, within, you know, within their wealth plan as a whole. All right. So working with the right wealth manager, that being the first mistake, what would you say might be the second on your list that you're just seeing a lot of family businesses making these days that you want to try and curb as soon as you can? Well, oh, uh, is an overfocus number two would be an overfocus on tax reduction or tax minimization, and we so often see uh, the tax tail wag the the business dog, if you will, and the idea of, of where are we trying to go with the, with this business, and then being uh, frankly a little bit too aggressive on different tax mitigation strategies. You know, I remember when I began my practice many, many, many moons ago during the Reagan administration, actually. Uh, and when the uh, TEFRA, the Tax Equity Reform Fiscal Responsibility Act, was enacted in the early 1980s, uh, it created, a, it really changed the tax structure in this country. And every CPA, every wealth manager under the sun seemed to be coming up with yet another tax minimization strategy. And frankly, these were had no economic value whatsoever. The tax deductions were so large that even if there was, you lost all of your money, which many of these programs did, um, it, was, it was an upside down world. 
And it's not, you know, uh, Congress has tightened up a lot of those loopholes, but there's still uh, areas out there where people tend to be overly aggressive with tax minimization strategies. And they're trying to reduce the taxes and the structure of those taxes to the detriment of the family's unity and the family harmony and what the, what the goals of the business are to, again, we want these businesses in many cases to survive the founders, to survive the owners, to go on to another generation or another three generations. And oftentimes overemphasis on tax mitigation strategies can thwart those plans although there were good intentions, but they can really be a detriment to those plans. Roger that Bob, you had mentioned something there that that idea of family harmony and boy, is that ever so important in running a successful family business? I mean, the family it's in the name, it's in the title right there. Harmony mm -hmm. is so important to have, which kind of leads us beautifully into our, into that, that next mistake uh, that I know you're going to be listing today. And it's this idea of really that inner relationships and inner discussions that are happening within a family about the wealth. Talk to us about this third mistake on this front. Yeah. And, and again, I, I, I was, uh, this probably is the most glaring one where I've been the most guilty of over, the, over the years. And I've, I've repented, I've changed my ways. Uh, and I could talk about a little bit what forced me to change my ways in many ways. I was moving in that direction. Uh, but I want to back up just, just a little second to that first one of choosing to work with the wrong wealth managers. When I, uh, I, I've referenced in previous podcasts of my father and mother, both entrepreneurs, and my father's entrepreneurial business, which, and I'll tie in the first one and the third one with my dad and, and myself big time with the, this third one. But in that first one on working with the wrong wealth manager, uh, my father, who was a smart guy and ran a really great business, um, he relied on certain legal advice that maybe wasn't the best and, and put him in um, down a couple of roads that he had to, to backtrack and retreat from. Um, but he also relied on financial advice that was, uh, even at the time, and uh, you know, I'm a teenager at the time watching this, it seemed cool to me, but a little bit crazy. Like, for example, uh, when my father ended up being a majority shareholder of, a, of an international hockey league team. <laughs> And so my, my dad, my dad owned a, a, a pretty big chunk of the Columbus Checkers, uh, which was a great IHL team, uh, International Hockey League team, very you know, high end professional level. And it was kind of cool to have all the hockey players come over to our house for Christmas parties. I think uh, they were they were fun. They were a fun crowd for a teenage guy like me to, to hang out with. Uh, but things like that. And of course, you can only imagine that owning a hockey team probably wasn't the most lucrative thing my dad did. I, I actually don't know how that ended up, which ties to the third mistake people make, which is that is of just being secretive, right? Many entrepreneurs, they're self-made men, they're self-made women. They, 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 they do what they do in an independent fashion. And while the intentions are very good not to share a lot about the business uh, with children, heirs, uh, even the spouse in many, many occasions, that can be counterproductive. And the idea of not sharing enough information of what the business does and what the financial situation really is and, and the kind of the key drivers, the KPIs of what makes the business run when they have an eye on the next generation taking over at some point and, you know, finding out how the business is structured and work, what works in the reading of a will is not the optimal to say the least. And certainly the ideas of 
not sharing enough information with those that you think will eventually take over this business and, and become involved in it. That's just a, that's just human nature. That's such a strong entrepreneurial trait to be uh, the captain of their own destiny and their own ship and not to share enough. And we find that that could be a real problem. And again, the same thing, uh, it, and that's the one that I was so guilty of as I, as I worked not only what the transition from corporate America, from Wall Street, into uh, a couple of different businesses I had before we founded Oswego Private Wealth Management. I did exactly the same thing. I didn't appreciate um, and I didn't respect the counsel of my wife, the counsel of having my children involved in many ways. Of course, I understood that not all that many years ago and really changed my ways on that. As I said earlier, repented of that. And then of course, um, when my son Eric uh, was brought into business as a partner, uh, it was just a fascinating to me as I bring in Eric into this business and I'm just sharing everything about how this business runs and what it runs just to, just to see that look in Eric's eye and a few comments of like, gee, dad, I had no idea that this is how you do, how you do things. And it just illustrated, just magnified it yet again. It's like, you know, what a numbskull, what a knucklehead I, I was. I, I could have, should have been sharing all that all along. So I'm doing that. And, and of course, that's me. But we certainly see that with our clients um, very, very often where they're just a little too secretive, much too secretive, frankly, in terms of what they're sharing. And, and with that said, you don't want to overshare. There's something, you know, the kids don't need to know everything about the business because we don't want to disincentive incentivize them in order to go uh you know maybe they you like we like i did with eric i wanted him to start out and put a you know a decade 15 years in private industry himself and then to kind of you know earn his stripes and and become a good financial guy become a good business leader in his own right before he came into the business right no silver spoon in, in this case right mm -hmm. and many business owners look at it that way uh but there is a time to bring in more information to the to that next generation and not uh, uh, with discretion we, we just need to be smart about how much we do share but some more sharing probably needs to go on mm -hmm. you know bob this really is an interesting one i mean i mean because in most instances you know the business owner being secretive you know in their own mind they're you know, they're keep they're shielding, you know, from from all sorts the of the instinct is great. They're protecting, right. they're, they're shielding. There's it's it's they're in they're trying to maintain a cohesiveness within the family mm -hmm. and family harmony. And they're just like, hey, you know, is the old song, nobody knows the trouble us uh, troubles I've seen. <laughs> uh -huh. No, oh my gosh, the stresses that I carry for this family are immense. And I don't want to burden anybody else with it. And, right. and that's not what I'm suggesting at all. Uh, but sometimes the value of counsel and just to lighten the load a little bit, because mm -hmm. many business owners, and, and I've experienced this, it's a, to be an entrepreneur is a, can be a very lonely, sure. lonely yeah. exercise, if you will. And you say, who are my counselors? Who's my board? Who do I share with? 
how much can I share with my family? So anyway, I'm saying a lot about this and I've probably said enough, but that being secretive is that, is that third mistake. Yeah. Yeah. No. And it's, it's good. And it's worth, it's worth taking the time to really unpack that one because there's a lot that goes into it. So Bob, let's shift now to that fourth mistake that you're seeing, you know, clients make or, or just, you know, family business owners as a whole. What, what do you see on this front? Uh, well, it's, it's the failing to keep accurate and up-to-date plans. Mm -hmm. um, this is not a one and done by any stretch of the imagination. And the you know, and things change economically, politically, socially, things change, tax laws change, the business environment changes. Think back to when COVID started, what a business plan looked like, and then take a look at all of the iterations of business plans. Many businesses didn't make it, by the way, as we all know. Uh, many thrived throughout that, and it was that nim the nimbleness of being able to adapt and change to a, to the environment. Well, the same thing holds true to your wealth management plan. Are your trust documents, are, are your articles of incorporation, or is your LLC, is everything up to date? Is the structure still correct? Um, are the investments, whether it's through the 401k plan or your other personal investments, are they are they appropriate for this particular period of time? And so it needs to be staggered. It can't be a three ring grinder. You put it on the shelf, you never look at it. We're done, one and done. Mm -hmm. It needs to be an ongoing process, which is like I'm evangelical in my, my plea, my admonition to stress test, to review plans periodically. And as I had mentioned in a previous podcast, uh, the high percentage of family offices, those with full staffs, big payrolls that focus only on the finances of one family, those with 500 million or more, uh, tend to stress test their, those plans and bring in a third set of eyes to take a look at what's going on. Uh, and in the same sense, I think every business owner should stress test their financial planning, their wealth management planning from legal, accounting, financial on a periodic basis to make sure that everything's still up to date and it's still serving the family in the ma in the manner that they had originally set up. You know, I'm so glad you mentioned this one, Bob, because I mean, yes, take a look at the last few years that we've all experienced, things change. It's that simple. Right. So obviously your wealth plan will likely be changing with that. But let me ask you this then, Bob, for those families that may have an outdated plan and they're working with an outdated plan at the time, what should they do? What, what would the course of action be that you would recommend for them to take? Well, well, first is intention. Uh, first, the intention is to, uh, is to determine, decide uh, that we need to go through this process and, and stress test our plans. And because manana is always a, is always a good answer for these things. There are more pressing problems in most businesses than to, to go back foundationally and to the, to the basic plan of that business, its wealth management plan. And that is, you know, to, to not be too self-serving, but that is the core and the beginning of every relationship that I have is to do a full accurate and complete stress test on every moving part of that business. It's a, it's a very uh, in, uh, complete uh, stress test that we do. And then we go back periodically and we stress test our existing clients and their existing plans to make sure that those are still up to date. Uh, but that's foundational step number one. And I, I believe I mentioned in another podcast that, that uh, business owners, uh, I had a business owner who told me a story once um, that I've never forgotten. And it, it was, 
uh, more anecdotal, but he said, you know, he said, you know, Bob, before we started working together, he said, I, um, uh, and in my business, I work overtime. I'm, I'm laser focused on tearing down those silos in between the functional areas of my business. I want accounting, talking to shipping, I want shipping, talking to sales. I want everybody on the same team uh, talking to each other and working together. And yet, uh, you know, again, this before I began the relationship with this particular client, he said, I had an issue in my wealth management plan and I never knew who do I, do I call my lawyer? Do I call my CPA? Do I call my previous financial advisor? Uh, who do I talk to? Because nobody was cohesively integrated and speaking to one another. And so I would make the case that I'm the right starting point for most of, of the reviews and the stress tests. And then from there, we determine what other team members, legal accounting, uh, insurance perhaps come into play uh, to complete the plan and to make sure that the family's up to date on what they're trying to accomplish. Alrighty. So we've, I mean, we've walked through four really big mistakes, Bob, that you're seeing is that first one being the idea of not working with the right wealth manager. The second, you know, that over-focus on tax mitigation strategies, because there's so much more that goes into the overall wealth plan and the strategies in place. So that over-focus can come back to bite you uh, when you're looking at tax mitigation as a whole. That third one, and this was the one, you know, we spent a decent amount of time on that idea of being secretive uh, within the family dynamics of the business and the numbers that go along with everything. And number four, you know, that idea of keeping your wealth plan up to date as circumstances are changing because they're bound to change. Bob, let's bring it home. What do you see as kind of the fifth biggest final mistake that, uh, you know, successful family uh, business owners are making these days? Well, it's the belief that the sale of family business means failure. Mm, okay. um, and I know every entrepreneur listening to this uh, feels that their business is one of their children and uh and that's where they've dedicated a significant amount of their of their waking hours for a lot of years and and uh, a lot of dreams are always to pass it on to another generation to another generation and sometimes that's just not practical and that's just not feasible their uh, children have different interests maybe don't, they don't have the right qualities the skill set uh, and they just don't want to be involved in that business and so there are kind of two sides to that coin, Ryan. One is just the idea that you view this as failure because, you know, I failed. I built a significant business, cash flow beautifully. I'm selling it for a very high multiple, a very high EBITDA, a very high price. And nonetheless, I feel like I failed um, because my children didn't have an interest to take this over or I didn't feel they were qualified to take this over and run it. And I think that's just, I don't think that means failure. I just, you know, a third party sale or, or an ESOP to, a, to existing employees. There are other ways to do this. And I think that if that becomes the realization at the inflection point at the time of the sale of the business, that can be debilitating to a business owner mm -hmm. uh, as they think about what they're going to do with the rest of their life. Um, that's where I think the stress testing, the discovery, the investment planning meetings that we do, and we build around that. And again, once again, I'm talking about the human element of, of what we're doing. It isn't just X's and O's. There's a human element to what we're doing. And then 
everybody listening to this has heard this before, but you really need to have a plan on what you're going to do post business sale, whether it's family member or outside party, because to one day just say, uh, you know, I'm hanging out at home, having my coffee, taking my time, and maybe I got a golf game in or whatever. Um, I'm pretty unfulfilled. I really, <laughs> I really miss the sense of purpose and what I was doing working. So there needs to be a plan around that too, a life plan, a human element, call it what you will, but believing that the sale of the fam that the that the sale of the family business not happening to a family member it is tantamount to failure is just not the case. And it just it's something that needs to be worked through and planned for well in advance of the actual sale of the business. Yeah, sure thing. And, and I think there is a lot to be said about that idea of life beyond success. You know, that moment of the sale of the business. I mean, uh, there should be things that you're looking forward to, uh, time that you've been waiting to spend with loved ones and family and, and uh, maybe travel plans. You know, maybe it's maybe it's a small another business opportunity. Maybe it's even a small part time opportunity. I mean, life oh. beyond that, that uh, that moment of, of the sale of a business can be a really uh, exciting moment. So I'm glad you brought that one up, Bob. And uh, so, Bob, you know, we've covered these five critical wealth planning mistakes, you know, that you're seeing successful family businesses make regularly, routinely. You know, we wanted to throw them out there for our audience so that they can kind of mitigate and make their way around them or address them if they are a little guilty of making one or a few of these. But Bob, for anybody that might have any further questions about what we discussed today, and maybe they're interested in talking with you and your team uh, about where they and their business fit into these, you know, different mistakes and how they might be able to get around them. What would you say is the best way that somebody could get in touch with you and your team to maybe just set up a call and, and talk through some things? Yeah, no, thank you for asking that. And be, before I answer, answer that question, the best way to, to reach me is, I, I just wanna interject one last thing that just kind of came to mind as Please. we're having this conversation. And uh, you, you triggered it when you said, you know, success uh, to significance. And, and there was a book written many, many decades ago by a fellow named Bob Buford, and he, and he, he called it Halftime. And it's that transitioning from success to significance. I think it's still in print. And of course, I read it all those many years, all those many years ago. Um, and I still have friends and clients uh, that have stumbled upon this book, Halftime, of going from your life of success to your life of significance. Um, and, you know, irony lost on nobody. Um, most people I know reading this book are 50 or 60 years old. And, and uh, you know, if, if, if we think it's halftime, then we're very optimistic people. <laughs> we're going to live to 120. Um, right. But anyway, that uh, success to significance—that's a big—that's a big part of the human element of this planning because we don't we don't build businesses, we don't contribute to our communities, we don't protect and provide for our families just for the idea of saying whoever has the biggest pile of cash when they die wins. Mm -hmm. It's the purpose-driven life of that of that wealth of that blessing that you were able to enjoy and the best way to reach me is through our website uh, you can go to oswegoprivatewealth.com and that's a great starting point to have information more information on me and eric and on our firm and what we do and how we do it uh, you can schedule a meeting through that website you can see uh, a various podcasts that, that we've done and our story on the website and a I, I think it does a reasonably good job of explaining what it is we do and how we do it. 
so fantastic well bob look i you're a busy guy i appreciate you carving some time out of your day to be with us here to dive into these different mistakes that you're seeing family businesses make and uh look have looking forward to having you back on the show and, and diving into another topic down the road here me too thank you very much ryan all righty thank you bob and look hey we want to take one final moment as always to thank you guys our audience for jumping aboard and being with us here on the show today as always we ask you if you liked what you saw today you benefited from any bit of the conversation do us a favor and hit that like button comment on the show subscribe to it on whichever platform you're checking us out on today and then of course share this information right with friends family business owners anybody that you think would benefit from these types of conversations you know i mentioned it at the top of the show i'll say and again, these we're bringing the same kind of conversations that Bob is having with his clients over at Us We Go Private Wealth on a regular basis, anytime they're coming into his office. And we're bringing them right here to you guys on this show. So we've got a lot of great topics curated for this show, and we would hate to have you miss out on any good stuff down the road in some future episodes. So for Bob Adritus, I'm Ryan Ruff. We're going to go ahead and say so long, but we appreciate you being with us on today's installment of Lessons by the Lake. Oswego Private Wealth Management podcast may have been previously disseminated by Bob Adritus on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Bob Adritus or his guest as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only an expression of his or his guest's opinion. Madritus's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither Oswego Private Wealth Management nor its affiliates warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. Madritus and Oswego Private Wealth Management are not under any obligation to update or correct any information provided. Investment advice offered by Oswego Private Wealth Management and does not guarantee any specific outcome or performance. You must make an independent decision regarding investments and strategies mentioned by Bedritus or a guest. Before acting on information you hear, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and strongly consider seeking advice from your own financial or investment advisor. This information is for general purposes only and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Oswego Private Wealth Management does not provide legal, tax, mortgage advice or services. Please consult your legal tax advisor regarding your specific situation.